As a Western Reservoir angler, I have to say I'm a huge fan of heavy metal in the fall. But we ain't talking about Metallica or Black Sabbath. Stay tuned, we're going to talk about the fall vertical bite on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I appreciate that very much. And same as every week, it is brought to you by the fine folks at Sportsman's Warehouse. You can visit them at sportsmans.com or any one of 140 plus stores nationwide. If uh, Fishful Thinker produces it, it's because Sportsman's Warehouse helps us with it. So check those guys out. Next time you need some gear, camping stuff, hunting stuff, fishing stuff, whatever it might be, it is September now, which means you might need fishing stuff and hunting stuff in the same day even. <laughs> but that's not what we're here to talk about. We've done Cast and Blast podcasts before. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to do, and I highly recommend you do it. September and October is the best time of year to do a Cast and Blast, so you might check that out. Check out that other podcast, and of course, please subscribe while you're here. It's heavy metal season, guys. And, uh, and again, jokes aside, we're not talking about... You know, Metallica or Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin or what are any of those bands. What we're talking about is vertical fishing with metal baits. Basically, we're talking about vertical fishing with jigging spoons, potentially blade baits, potentially flutter spoons. Long story short, when we get into this time of year, we got a lot of bait fish in the system. And it really doesn't matter if you're fishing for white bass, walleyes, larger smallmouth bass, uh, stripers, whatever. There's a lot of bait fish in the systems and all of those sport fish are going to be following those bait fish in the open water. And that means we're gonna have a lot of fish suspended in the water column. And we talk about that a lot on Fishful Thinker on the podcast and TV show and everything else because it's a scenario we run into more and more and more. And as more people have uh, live sonar or forward facing sonar, we're finding out just how many fish really are out there. And we've always known in the fall that there was a lot of fish that were suspended in open water. What we've learned more recently is that there's a lot of fish suspended in open water a lot of the year that aren't typically addressed. And it's not just a fall thing. So what's happening is that my vertical fishing with the metal baits, the heavy metal baits, has gotten more and more... Um, uh, what's the right word, important over the course of the whole year, not just the fall thing, but for sure, this is where it's the most uh, most effective. Uh, certainly, it's where it's most classically applied, uh, such that there'd be guys all over my home lake here in the next couple of weeks or month that'll be fishing vertical all over the place. So I'll be ripping jigging spoons up and down or blade baits or flutter spoons. Uh, but you'll see a lot of that going on. And a lot of times it's associated with the first die-off of the bait fish for the year. And that typically comes when we've got the first hard cold snap. Water temperature cools the surface a bunch in a hurry. Uh, that will drop the temp down faster than the bait fish can deal with. And that's when they naturally will die off. Shad, uh, basically, I think last I checked, I believe shad are on a three-year cycle, at least uh, the gizzard shad that are around here. Uh, they die at the end of their third summer. So uh, that first cold snap is what will kill them. Now, obviously, those ones are too big at that point. They'd be like 12, 14 inches long. They're bigger than, than what most of the fish are going to eat. 
but any of the younger ones that die off are not. And so you get you end up with the young of the year shad, which are like two inches long. Then next from there, you get the four to six inch shad, and then the big ones from there. But they could also be smelt. It could also be, you know, alewives. It could also be, um, you know, shad, of course, being the most classic one. Uh, uh, it could be whatever, any of the, any of the bait fish species. But when we get a hard cold snap, some of them will start to die off. That will make them available to the to the sport fish, and they will be eating them a lot. And that's when that vertical fluttering fall gets really good. So before we get too far into this, already four minutes in, I'm running way behind as far as that goes. Let's talk about the basics of the technique in general on the, on the outside. So first of all, three basic baits I want to talk about for this. Uh, one being a jigging spoon and one being a flutter spoon, and the last one being a blade bait. All of those are made out of solid metal in most cases. Uh, there's some oddball resin-based ones and things like that, but for the most part, they're all solid metal, hence the, term, the title of this podcast. Um, and their fall rate is dictated by a combination of two things, their density and their profile. So jigging spoons, true jigging spoons, are made to be fished as vertically as possible. That was the original concept to them. So you'll see them literally be round like the head of a spoon or oval like the head of a spoon, all the way to long and skinny and everywhere in between. Uh, but the one thing they all have in common is they're very dense for their size. So they're not thin, let's just say. They're, if you take a spoon that's two inches long, a jigging spoon and a flutter spoon, the jigging spoon will weigh twice as much as the flutter spoon uh, for a given size or or conversely, the, if you go by weight, the flutter spoon will be a lot bigger for a given weight, and that's because it's thinner, less dense material. The point of that being is the faster a bait needs to get down, the deeper it needs to be, or the faster the fall rate you want it to have, then you make it smaller and denser. And if you want it to flutter more on a big wide flutter, then you make it thinner and less dense. And I've taken this to the extreme over the years a lot because in my particular home lake where I've guided for almost 20 years, the primary bait fish species is smelt and they are in open water all the time. So even in the summertime, for years I've been throwing flutter spoons around in the summer and then I convert to jigging spoons in the fall. Well, what I figured out is both of them have their place year round. It's just a matter of of how you necessarily want to apply them. But if I'm fishing a true jigging spoon, I'm expecting a high fall rate, a very high frequency flutter as well. The bait will fall with a lot of flutter to it um, in a hurry, a lot of a real tight wiggle flutter to it. It's a much easier bait to fish very deep and typically it's gonna be either lifted or completely ripped off the bottom somewhere in between and then allowed to settle back down or through the middle of the water column or whatever the case might be depth wise. The flutter spoon, on the other hand, is a much bigger profile, as I already said, for a given weight, and it will sink way slower, like half the speed, uh, as far as its true fall rate to the bottom. And in the process, it will have a much wider uh, wobble or big old flutter to it. And so it literally might, some of my flutter spoons will move a foot or more off to one side as they're fluttering, whereas a jigging spoon will, will maybe an inch or two at the most. So it's more about the vibration of the jigging spoon and the true flutter of the flutter spoon, hence the term. So both cases, I might fish them straight vertically. I might 
make a long throw and do a hybrid lift and drop retrieve where I rip it up and let it count back down and rip it up and let it count back down that may or may not have bottom contact to it. Uh, depending on what my sonar is showing me with fish and how deep the water is and things like that. But this time of year, in the next couple of weeks, I might be fishing for smallmouth that are that are 40 plus feet deep, and but the, the water is 75 feet deep. So you, it's a matter of a countdown thing. It's a very precise count your bait into that range. In that case, I use tracer braid, but I'll get into that here in a minute. But, uh, but at any rate, the flutter spoon and the jigging spoon. The third one is the blade bait. And the blade bait, unlike the other two, is weighted on one edge. Instead of being symmetrical, uh, the blade bait's weighted on one edge, so it vibrates hard when you rip it up. It vibrates, almost feels like a crankbait when you rip, rip it up off the bottom or up through the water column. And then it's got a higher fall or higher frequency vibration on the fall down as well because the weight's concentrated on one side. So the bait doesn't move around so much. It just sort of tightly wiggles its way back to the bottom, almost like a crankbait that works vertically is probably a better way to describe it. There again, I may make a long throw with it, or I might be vertical, or I might be anywhere in between, depending on how deep the water is, what the fish look like set up on the sonar, uh, and how deep specifically the bait fish themselves are. That's a key part of the whole scenario as well. Uh, and so those are the three choices I'm going to use. In all these cases, I've been known to throw uh, jigging spoons literally as light as a sixth of an ounce, like the old school crippled herring, like one-sixth ounce, little tiny jigging spoons, because we have young-of-the-year bait fish that are little. A lot of them are an inch to inch and a half long, haven't even made it to two inches yet. Um, that little tiny super lightweight spoon is a really good call because it stays higher in the water column for a longer period of time for one. So if I've got shad, young of the year shad, they tend to be higher in the water column. That real small flutter spoon is a really good way to get bites. Another really good one for that would be a Johnson Sprite. It's actually a famous saltwater spoon. I've been throwing that spoon since I was a kid for redfish. So it's a spoon that, that I have a tremendous amount of confidence in working a lot of different ways, but it's made down to very small sizes as well and makes an excellent flutter spoon over open water, uh, particularly in the smaller sizes. But I will fish it all the way up to the half ounce model as a flutter spoon where I'll make a long throw with it, let it flutter its way down to however depth I want, and then pull it back up and follow it back down or guard it back down with the rod. Uh, but the flutter spoons and jigging spoons for me, I've run a whole gamut of them, both of them. But the most common ones for me is going to be a Johnson Sprite and a Johnson Splinter. The Splinter being a true jigging spoon and the Sprite being more of a flutter spoon. And either one of those two are going to be tied on or both of those two, I should say, will be tied on on any given day in my boat from now until straight up wintertime fishing and maybe even all the way through until very early spring because as I get more and more fish away from the banks and out in open water, those become more prevalent. Of the three that I mentioned, the blade bait is one that's going to get the least amount of play for me in the fall. It gets more play for me in the summer when fish are sitting on structure it's an excellent bait to deal with fish that are sitting hard on structure, and, and I'll use it a lot there. But this time of year, particularly in the early part of the, of the, of the fall where we are right now, uh, you will have some fish on structure and some fish in more open water. And I really like the ones that are sitting on stuff. For whatever reason, the blade bait is excellent for getting fish to bite. And it may be a very small, subtle lift and drop where 
literally I'm picking the bait up just uh, a foot at the most off the bottom, just a little up off the bottom and let it right back down, right, right back down. It might be a big old three foot lift and letting the bait flutter back down as well, but that's only when my fish are really aggressive. If, if Particularly if we're dealing with something like walleyes and they're sitting tight to the structure, it's going to be a very small lift and drop. Keeping the bait there, I don't want to pull it away from them necessarily, and I don't want to spook them with a big giant hard lift, so I'll be a little bit more subtle with how I work that. Uh, if they're up higher in the water column, much more than, a, than maybe 20 feet or 10 feet even off the bottom, I'll probably go to a spoon, either a flutter spoon or jigging spoon, depending on the scenario, um, as opposed to the blade bait. So the blade bait for me is the most bottom contact oriented of all of them, and it's the one I'm gonna talk the least about in this presentation because of that. Um, the, the blade bait for me, like I said, is a lot of the times a summertime structure bait. And when we do get fish in wide open water, it for me is a little bit harder bait to get bites with. I think it's the actual flutter of the, of the really erratic spoons that make all the difference in the world. And if you follow very much Fishful Thinker stuff, you know that I am uh, very much a reaction bite guy. I like to, to get fish to bite on craziness, erraticness, aggressive retrieves, things like that. That's a thing that I've worked on my whole career. <clears throat> I think it's probably because I started uh, fishing as a kid in saltwater. And, uh, and when I came to bass fishing, I was just a reaction bite fisherman. And then walleyes, I didn't learn anything about traditional walleye techniques until very late in my career, uh, as far as, say, a bottom bouncer, live bait rigs of any kind, a lindy rig, anything like that. I don't know anything about that stuff comparatively. When I first started walleye fishing, it was literally with spoons and blade baits. So my first techniques were very, very aggressive, and I've stuck with them ever since with walleyes. And to this day, spoons, blade baits, snap jigging, and jerk baiting are my favorite walleye techniques with, without question. So uh, they're all very aggressive techniques. And that doesn't mean they always work. It just means they're my favorite. <laughs> so I want to point that little detail out. I've been outfished by a guy with static presentations plenty of times to know, but that's generally how I will always start and get a percentage of fish to bite uh, that way. It's with an aggressive technique. When it comes to any of these baits, the, the, the spoon or the blade bait, um, the color, my color selection is pretty straightforward. It's, it's either going to be pure chrome, as in silver chrome. Um, it may be pure gold chrome. If I have a tannin water situation, which I don't see a lot of, you don't, I don't, at least in my home region, say a three or four state region around my place, I don't have a tremendous amount of tannin-stained bodies of water that I need to uh, to address with spoons and blade baits because they're typically tannin-stained lakes are shallow and small, or shallow, I should say, not necessarily small, and, uh, and that's not associated with the technique. Now, I will throw, as far as other colors, I will throw a white or a pearl of some sort. Um, I will throw a white or a pearl with a little bit of orange or chartreuse or green on it. Uh, particularly the, the green and chartreuse and white combo, I've, I've heard it referred to as coleslaw, the color. Um, but something like that is an excellent call as well. I don't have dark colored spoons, uh, you know, anything like you might see for a pike spoon that's painted red, stuff like that. None of that's even in my in my boat ever. They're bait fish colors uh, when it comes to reservoir fishing uh, and, and for sure for the vertical uh, stuff we're talking about right here. Now, uh, as far as line goes, to me, it's a braided line technique, period, end of discussion. There's no scenario that I feel you're better off to have 
monofilament or fluorocarbon with any of these spoons at fishing the way we're talking about them. Um, the difference in the ability to feel what the spoon's doing, get a hook set with it, um, just generally keep track of the spoon all the way around is much, much better with braided line. So for me, it's typically going to be, if I'm fishing the real small flutter spoons, it may be a 10, uh, 10 pound braid with a eight or 10 pound fluorocarbon leader on it. If I'm fishing the bigger spoons, it may go up to a 15 pound braid. Um, and then again, have a, an upsized leader, 12 or maybe even a 15 pound leader, which sounds really heavy, but that leader also uh, changes the fall rate. So if I put a heavier leader on, it's thicker diameter. And somebody's going to say, oh, well, it's fluorocarbon, it sinks. Well, yeah, but the diameter is still the limiting factor. And so a heavier fluorocarbon is larger diameter, and it will take more time for the bait to flutter itself down. Uh, pulling a, a thicker diameter line. So that's the other advantage of the braid for the main running line is it's extremely thin. And if you guys watch very much my stuff, you know we throw all Berkeley braids, trialing braids of some kind with some spider wire in there for durability at times. This is a scenario where I love tracer braid. And tracer braid has come and gone depending on the, the, the whims of Berkeley over the years. I bought a whole bunch of it when they were discontinuing it and then it'll come back on. They'll get an angler call for it and they'll put it back on. But tracer braid changes colors every few feet, and it gives you a chance to really keep track of depth by counting the colors on its way down, for one. And for two, it's very easy to see vertical motion in the line because of those colors. So if I am making that long throw that I talked about, and then letting, I'll lay all the line on the surface and let the bait pull the line down, and I'm watching that line as the, as the, as the spoon sinks down, and it pulls that line. I'm watching the farthest point of the line I can see. And as it starts its way down, you will see if it moves vertically away from you uh, or straight away from you or it stops sinking or it moves to one side or the other much easier with a multicolored braid. In lieu of multicolor, I'll go to a straight um, you know, blaze or a flame, as they call it, but a, basically a chartreuse line, a very bright colored line. I still prefer the two-color line because, it, again, it gives me a reference point. I can watch that color change, and I can see it move back and forth very easily. Uh, and so that's my favorite stuff. But, again, it depends on the, on the whim of the buyers out there. When for, for a few years, anglers will get on a kick. They'll want, they'll want a braid that's multicolor. Uh, several companies will come out with it, and then it'll lose popularity. So every time they do come out with it, I buy a bunch of it, and then I'm ready to go. And I use it primarily for jerk baiting and for chicken spoons and that's it uh that's that's the two things that i use that line for and uh and, and therefore it's easy to see why maybe it doesn't make it on the market all the time they just don't sell a tremendous amount of it but it is a very handy tool for this uh i have also seen people just for the record um that say it spooks fish and in this case i've got the leader on there i don't really care so the leader is always fluorocarbon uh fluorocarbon is excellent for abrasion resistance <coughs> it's uh it's also a good density, and it's also for, for um, clarity. It's the same, basically, light refraction characteristics as water, and therefore it disappears underwater. And for those three reasons, fluorocarbon is the choice for me for that, and there's no variance in that for me. There is one place that that will vary a little bit and in, within the rig, and that is the use of a swivel. Certain baits need swivels or you will cause yourself some problems and if i'm making the long throws with a flutter spoon particularly with a flutter spoon more than a jigging spoon if i'm making a long throw 
and then watching that line go down, as I've already discussed, and then doing the lift and drop from there, um, then I want a swivel typically there. And I am not a fan of any extra hardware in my system in general. So if I'm saying I want a swivel, it's because I'm required to have a swivel based on the amount of line twist I'm going to get out of the deal. Uh, if you're going to buy a swivel, buy good quality ball bearing swivels because otherwise the line is easier to spin than the swivel. If you buy those super cheap swivels that you can buy, I mean, you can walk in Sportsman's Warehouse and you can buy a $1.29 bag of swivels and you can buy a $3.29 bag of swivels and they are not the same because the ball bearing swivels have way less turning resistance than the, than the, you know, the basic cheap swivels. And like I said, the, the line's easier to twist than the swivel if you're using the cheap swivel. So it won't really solve your problems. So I want to use the smallest swivel uh, based on the pound test rating of the swivel. And even the little tiny ones, and I mean the little tiny swivels, are all rated for like 20 pounds or more, meaning they're heavier than your fishing line. So you don't need a great big swivel either. Uh, little tiny ball bearing swivel is a good call if I'm going to use a flutter spoon. And I will tie that swivel between the line and the leader as opposed to down at the bait. I don't want any extra hardware at my bait ever. If I can, there's, there's almost no scenario in which I want extra hardware on my bait. And um, I mean, there's one or two, but I'll get into those later. It's very rare. If I need that swivel, it's going to be up above uh, the leader itself. And now I'm going to give you one caveat here on that. If you're going to put a swivel up at the top of your leader, one of two things needs to happen. You either need to take care of knowing where that swivel is all the time, because if you reel that swivel into your tip guide hard enough, you can break the tip guide. So it either needs to be a big enough swivel that it won't go in the tip guide, uh, or it needs to be a small swivel, which would be far preferred, and you need to keep track of where it is. So I've broken the tips out of a couple of different rods over the years by being ambitious and winding that swivel full speed, and it clips the tip guide as it comes through. And so be careful with that. Um, I have tried also putting a bead above the swivel to keep that from happening, and then you end up with a tangled mess. So don't do the bead. That uh, doesn't work well. But anyway, the swivel right there with a flutter spoon is going to help. I use little tiny ball bearing Berkeley swivels uh, and 20-pound test rating, and they work fantastic for that scenario. Uh, and also allows you to Palomar knot off to that swivel, and you can change leaders really quickly or whatever, as, as the case might be. And I've already mentioned my leaders for really small spoons might be 8-pound test. It might go all the way up to, say, 15 or maybe even a little bit more than that, depending on some scenarios. But typically, it's going to be between 8 and 12-pound test uh, is going to be what's going to handle all my, uh, my leader duties on that. And then the rods themselves are all going to be fast or extra fast action. I prefer extra fast. Uh, because I, I don't need a bunch of flex in my rod. I want that bait to be very, very responsive, and I want to have instantaneous hook sets and instantaneous feel. So an extra fast action rod and braided line gives you that instantaneous connection to your bait all the time. If I want to move it an inch, I move my rod an inch. If I want to move it a foot, I move my rod a foot. If you have monofilament, that's not the case because of the memory and the stretch and, and everything else in there. Uh, it, you might you might get a you might move the rod an inch and nothing happen at the other end or even three or four inches. Conversely, braid it's gonna it's there's no there's no stretch there's no memory and it tends because it's so thin to stay in a straight line between you and your bait instead of having resistance in the water. So also again easier for you to deal with from the angling standpoint. So. 
The extra fast action ride, they're typically going to be six and a half to seven footers. This is a place where shorter rods can do you fine. And in fact, if you get longer rods, much over seven feet, it's you have the danger of overworking the bait. So uh, because the, obviously the longer the rod is, the amount you lift on it's going to change a lot how much the, the bait moves, you know, because of the, the leverage, right? You have a big, long lever. So that's a key thing right there. And then as far as the reels go, the reels are always the fastest reels I can get for this, this technique. And it's not because I want to retrieve line in a hurry. It's because the, the biggest thing that the biggest problem with this style of fishing, if you want to call it a problem, is not getting bites. It's getting fish hooked because they're not going to hold that thing at all. They're going to blast it on the drop thinking it's a dead falling fish. They're going to get a big mouthful of metal and hooks. It's it's not even plastic. It's metal. And anyone that's ever hit a fork on their teeth knows what that feels like. They're not going to hold on to it. So you need that instant connection to your bait, uh, the ability to take up line in a hurry, the ability to sweep a hook set in a hurry. Uh, so the, the, the extra fast rod, the braided no stretch you know line, and the really fast reel come together. So for me, it's a Revo Rocket. Uh, Abu Garcia's Revo Rock is extremely fast reel and extremely durable reel as well. It will hold up well uh, with this type of a technique. And for me, this is always done on spinning tackle. And a lot of guys will do it on casting gear. I like the the um, ease of having the spinning rod just hanging in my hand. The, the jigging spoon for me is can be a little bit labor intensive in the same way the jerk baiting. The more labor-intensive a technique is, the more I favor spinning rods because I don't have to grip it. I can just barely hold on to it, and it will do everything it needs to do just fine. And uh, so I do spinning rods for these, and it would be a Veritas PLX. It's Abu Garcia Veritas PLX is what I'd be throwing. And uh, six and a half foot, uh, be a medium power and uh, extra fast action. Fantastic combination all the way around. The last thing I'll say about her, the, the final points I want to make about this. It's all about guarding your bait on the drop. And when I say guarding, I'm letting my, when I lift on the bait, the rod tips can end up higher above my head. I'll take up a little bit of slack and then I will follow that bait so that the rod tip moves at the same speed as the bait's dropping. So I maintain a little bit of slack between me and the bait. It's not straight on 100% flutter, but it's not on a tight line either. And in so doing, you'll have the best chance of knowing your bit for one and, and having the time to get the hook set because, like I said, they're not going to hold on to that thing. So that's a cre critical thing right there is that um, you pay really close attention to where that jig is or where that spoon is, I should say, and follow it with the rod tip all the time. It's a combination of line watching and, and, and slack management that make all the difference in this technique. Now, if you're fishing vertical straight under the boat, it's some of that's a little bit easier to deal with. Obviously, slack line management's not much of an issue when it's straight underneath your boat. But I still, at that point, don't want line piled up on the surface. And I've had clients on guide trips that will pick the bait up three feet like I tell them to, but then they set all three feet of the line right back down on the surface. And you got this kind of coil of line on the surface. And of course, the spoon will suck that coil back out and it'll go to the bottom. But if anything happens to that spoon on its way down, like for say it gets bit, you don't know it. And so again, I still want to guard it down to where the rod tip's going down the same speed as the spoon with a controlled amount of slack. That makes all the difference in the world. So pretty simple, guys. The, the jig and spoon deal um the when i the deeper the fish are the more i'll go for the jig and spoon the warmer the water still is the more i'll go for the jig and spoon or the more active the fish are the more i'll go for the jig and spoon 
when they're higher in the water column or less active um, or the water's a little bit colder, then I will go with the flutter spoon because it will go down a lot slower and give everybody a chance to play more with it. Chromes and whites are your friend. Maybe little touches of, of orange chartreuse or green. Um, otherwise, chrome is your friend there. The braided line straightforward on that. Uh, maybe a 10-pound braid is as good an all-around choice as you can get. And then the extra fast rod and reel will get it done. So the technique catches all kinds of fish. It works in the winter. It works in the summer. But it's at its peak for the next, say, six weeks or so around Western Reservoir. So... Hopefully that helps you guys out. If you have questions, shoot me an email or DM me on any one of our social media. That's at Fishful Thinker on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok as well. Um, there are personal pages as well. If you'd like to, to follow me personally, follow Chad Lachance, you can do that as well. Those are separate pages. Uh, and I would love to have you do that. There, it's not always fishing. We might talk cooking. We might talk some hunting. There's other things there as well. But I would appreciate if you'd maybe check that out. Chad Lachance on Facebook. Um, Living Lachance on Instagram. Uh, that would be appreciative. Most importantly, we also hope you'll check out our YouTube channel. That's at Fishful Thinker. Uh, very important. We put a lot of effort into that. And hopefully you guys will check that out. And I'm going to end this with a, we just signed contracts for next year. So we'll be back on Altitude Sports and entertainment and the World Fishing Network. So depending on who your cable or, or uh, network subscriber is, you can get a streaming or whatever, but we're on both those networks again for uh, 2024. Pretty excited about that. 13 new shows on their way. So thanks for tuning in. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast.